Deliverance from the Sin of Laziness by Zacharias Tanny Fomum. Read for you by Randy Capes. A company production studios ministry for audiobook creation exchange. I lovingly dedicate this book to all the lazy people who will no longer be lazy after reading and obeying its message. Lance Burkett said, The trend today is to seek the path of least resistance, <laughs> and when the going gets difficult, give up. That is a good description of a lazy person, the one who seeks the path of least resistance, and who gives up when things get difficult. Most of the world is lazy. Too many believers are idle. Few attain their God-given potential. The kingdom suffers because of the too many spectators who are said to be soldiers in the army of the Lord. The loss to God, to the kingdom of God, and to the lazy person that is caused by the sin of laziness is beyond measure. Must things continue that way? I do not think so. Laziness is a deadly sin. The one who commits this sin can be delivered. That's what this book is about. May the Lord bless you as you read it. Amen. Zacharias Tanny Fomum, September 20th, 1988. Part 1. Laziness. <laughs> what it is. Chapter 1. Laziness is rebellion. The Lord created man to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Genesis 1, verse 28. The duty given men was clearly spelt out. 1. Be fruitful. 2. Multiply. 3. Fill the earth. 4. Subdue the earth. 5. Have dominion. The Lord expects all who are His to, 1. Be fruitful in all that they are and do. 2. Multiply all that he has given them. 3. Fill the earth with all that he has given them. 4. Subdue the earth. 5. Have dominion over all that is on earth. Adam was put into the garden to till it and to keep it. Genesis 2, verse 15. In order to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it and have dominion over self, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, Every living thing that moves upon the earth, man had to work hard. Without hard work, it is impossible to obey this command of God. Unless you work hard, it is impossible to fulfill this command of God. The lazy person cannot be fully fruitful, fully multiply, fully fill the earth, fully subdue the earth, fully have dominion. God has made available to each one of his children all that he needs to fully develop take control of himself, and accomplish his God-assigned task in fruitfulness, multiplication, filling the earth, subduing it, and having dominion over it. Every believer who is not really what God meant him to be in the above areas has chosen not to be that. He has chosen not to put all that he is and all that he does working with all the energy that God has given him to obey this command of God. Those who do not obey God, or who obey him only partially, are disobedient. All those who are lazy are disobedient to the first command that God gave to man. Laziness is disobedience to God's command. The Bible says, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion.
rebellion is as the sin of divination, and stubbornness is as inequity and idolatry. 1 Samuel 15, verse 22 and 23. The lazy person is in rebellion. The lazy person is committing a sin that is as serious before God as divination. The lazy person is committing a sin that is as serious before God as idolatry. Laziness is rebellion against the Lord God. Laziness is like divination. Laziness is like idolatry. Laziness is the worship of self instead of God. Chapter 2. Laziness is an attempt to overthrow God. The Lord reigns in heaven unchallenged. When people on earth surrender themselves completely and obey Him in everything, they establish His reign in their hearts and then labor at establishing it on earth. The lazy person has decided, consciously or unconsciously, that he does not want to fully cooperate with God so that God reigns totally in his life and in his world. The lazy person has another God called the self. This God rules him. This God is on the throne of his heart. This God desires attention and worship. This God says, I want ease. I want to relax. I want to enjoy sleep, more sleep. Do not disturb my reign. Come afterwards at my convenience. This God, self, is afraid to yield totally to God because if he yields, that is the end of his own reign. There is a conflict between God of heaven and the God of self. The Bible says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you would. Galatians 5, verse 17. God ordained that men should work hard. God ordained that men should work very hard. God ordained that men should work extremely hard. God ordained that man should work extremely hard in putting the God's self out of the way so that his kingdom may be established over the total man in his environment. Laziness is resisting the desire of God. Laziness is allowing the God of self to reign. Laziness is an attempt to overthrow God. If you are lazy, you have decided to overthrow God. I want you to be honest with yourself. Ask yourself, am I lazy? If you are not sure of the answer, ask the Lord, am I lazy? He will let you know the truth. If you find out that you are lazy, then you have been attempting to overthrow God. For the way to cooperate with God is to work hard. The Lord Jesus said, My Father is working still, and I am working. John 5, verse 17. The Father is working still, building the kingdom. The Lord Jesus is working still, building the kingdom. The lazy are laboring to overthrow God. The lazy are scattering. Are you one of them? Chapter 3. Laziness is cooperation with Satan. God is working hard, building the kingdom. The Lord Jesus is working hard, cooperating with God and building the kingdom. The Holy Spirit is working hard, cooperating with God in building the kingdom. Hardworking believers are working hard, cooperating with God in building the kingdom. The devil, Satan, is working hard to overthrow the kingdom of God. Demons are working hard, cooperating with Satan to overthrow the kingdom of God and build the ill-fated kingdom of Satan.
Unbelievers are working hard, cooperating with Satan actively or passively to build the kingdom of Satan and overthrow that of God. Lazy believers are serving as Satan's agents. <laughs> Satan looks at them and says, these are my special agents. The fact that they are apparently in the other camp does not matter. Actually, it advances our causes more that they be there than that they be here. If they were here, directly on our side, the enemy, the Lord Jesus, and the church would not count on them and would build a strategy that does not include them. However, now that they are there and are lazy, they take up space and opportunities that would have been taken up by the militant servants of Christ. They are counted upon to work and to fight, but they are lazy and won't fight and won't work. They are counted upon, but all they do is to deceive. They are counted upon, but all they do is stand in the way. They are counted upon, but they cannot do anything against us. If they try to do anything, they are either so slow, so purposeless, so easily distracted, so easily given up to tiredness, etc., that their efforts amount to nothing. They are indeed on our side. They cooperate with us. They are indispensable for our success. They do more good for us than unbelievers. They belong to our special regiment. Everything must be done to ensure that it is not realized that they are on our side. Everything must be done to ensure that they give more and more reasons why they are unproductive or underproductive. Everything must be done to make them believe that those who are working hard are doing so for base reasons. Everything must be done to make them think that by being lazy, they have chosen the better place of being at Jesus' feet instead of being busy Martha. The greater their number, the better. We desperately need them, these lazy Christians. Not only in the rank and file, but among the captains and generals. Lazy Christians are leaders who serve our purposes more than 100 leaders who are unbelievers. If you are lazy... You are cooperating with Satan. You are his agent. The Lord Jesus taught, saying, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Matthew 12, verse 30. Lazy believer, you are against the hard-working Christ. You are scattering, and you are cooperating with Satan. You are a spy in the body of Christ. You are more useful to Satan than an unbeliever. You may give excuses, but they will only serve to confirm the facts. Chapter 4 Laziness is Attempting Murder The Lord told Adam to till the Garden of Eden and keep it. He was also told, In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Genesis 3, verse 17 There is enough land on the planet Earth, and enough seas and rivers with fish to feed billions upon billions of human beings. The fertile lands and the rivers and the seas from which fish can be gotten are not evenly distributed. The Lord expects that those who are placed in lands that are agricultural or within reach of fishing facilities should work very hard and thereby supply their own needs as well as have some available for those whose land is not suitable for farming or who have no seas and rivers with fish. The Bible says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hands, so that he may be able to give to those in need. Ephesians 4, verse 28. If you are healthy and have farmland around you, 
and yet you are idle? You are doing great evil. The blood of those who are dying from starvation could be upon you. For if you had worked hard, there would have been food to send to them. If you were lazy, and yet eat food that is the fruit of hard work of others, you are a thief. Can you imagine an Ethiopian, a Sudanese, or other starving and dying people crying on the judgment day and saying, if you had worked hard, food would have come to me, and I would not have starved to death. If I had not starved and consequently died prematurely, the gospel of God's salvation through the Lord Jesus would have reached me, and I would have been saved. Because you were lazy, I died before the gospel reached me. Because you were lazy, I am lost. I am in hell. Think of another soul that might be languishing in hell and crying out, If you had worked harder, you would have earned more money and invested more in the work of the Lord. That extra money would have enabled the gospel to get to me. I would have believed in the Lord Jesus and been saved. My life on earth and now would have been very different. But because you were lazy, you could not give that extra sum that was needed for the ministry. And the gospel never reached me. Because you were lazy, I am lost. I am in hell. My blood is upon you. Your laziness murdered me. Think about it. The Bible says, He who is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. Proverbs 18, verse 9. Part 2. Laziness. Its causes. Chapter 5. Laziness caused by negative comparison. There are too many people who are lazy because they compare themselves negatively with others. In the parable of the talents, the master gave five talents to one servant, two to the other servant, and one to the third. The servant who had been given one talent failed to multiply it. He might have asked, why have they given me one talent? Others have been given more. Because he compared himself with others, he concluded that he was not loved as the others were and therefore did nothing about multiplying his talent. Is that the reason for your laziness? Are you comparing yourself with others and saying, I am not as educated as the others. I do not have spiritual gifts that the others have. I do not have the opportunities that the others have, etc. As long as you continue to compare yourself with others, you will continue to be lazy. There never will be a day when you will not find someone who is better than you. God has given you all you need to do that which he has given you to do in the body of Christ. You do not need the gift or gifts of others because you are very special and have been given what you need for your special duties. The others have been given their gifts and opportunities to use for your service. Well, guess that's what you call putting them on blast, huh? That was um from the Play Store app called Playbooks, and the title of the the free download or preview is deliverance from the sin of laziness 
by Zacharias Tenney Full Mama, narrated by Randy Capes. And if you like, the book is available on ebook, audiobook, and it sells very, very reasonably. I'm not selling books at all. It got a very high rating, 5.0. He did a very good job of delivering his, his speeches. All right, let's try another one. Fire in Frost. Hopefully that's a... No, it's not poems. It's, it's about this audio book. Crystal Frost tells herself she isn't crazy, but sane people don't see ghosts. As her psychic abilities manifest, Crystal discovers she can see into the future, witness the past, and speak with the dead. Okay, let's try that one. It's got a 4.5 rating. Fire in Frost is the book title. The author is Alicia R-A-D-E-S Radis, narrated by Kim R-E-I-K-O Rico. Fire in Frost, a Crystal Frost novel. Written by Alicia Radis. Narrated by Kim Ryko. Chapter 1 My knees buckled and my hands trembled as I reached for the door to the school. An invisible weight came crushing down on my lungs as I gasped for air. What's wrong? Emma asked with urgency. Crystal, you look sick. Are you okay? I paused, unable to move or speak because I was afraid I would collapse if I did. The truth was, I didn't know what was wrong with me. Crystal? Emma prodded, resting a hand on my shoulder. I blinked a few times and finally caught my breath. My voice was hoarse and barely there. Yeah, I I think I'll be alright. I just have a weird feeling. Once I found my legs, we entered the building. The commons took on a different role today. Instead of everyone seated at tables waiting for the bell to ring, most were crowded toward the far end of the room. It was quieter than normal, too, as if a tragedy had just taken place. What's everyone doing? I asked in a near whisper as I stood on my toes to get a better look. I don't know, Emma started, but she cut off. Oh, yeah. Remember the fundraiser they're doing today for Olivia Owen? They must have started already. 
Now that Emma pointed it out, I remembered yesterday's announcements reminding students about a fundraiser in memory of Olivia. I knew Olivia's story. In a small town of 3,500, everyone knew about Olivia's tragic death that happened last year. I approached the table where the crowd stood and moved to the side so I could see. When I got a clear view, I saw two girls sitting behind the table, Kelly Taylor and Justine Hansen, the co-queen bees of the school. Athletic, beautiful, straight-A students, these girls were pretty much the poster children for perfection. In front of them sat boxes of candy bars they were selling for the fundraiser. Informational flyers and pictures of Olivia scattered the table. There was even a large framed photo of her junior volleyball picture taken just weeks before her death. She stood with a confident stance in her number 17 volleyball jersey with the ball resting on her hip. Her blonde hair was straightened and her dark brown irises made her eyes appear larger than they should. She looked more like an angel than a student. It's sad, I thought, that she didn't get to live long enough to finish the season, or even graduate for that matter. I grabbed one of the flyers from the stack and began reading. Fundraising for Burden Victims In Memory of Olivia Owen By Justine Hansen Olivia Owen was once a loving daughter, student, and athlete. She was a straight-A student who set an example for her fellow classmates by becoming an active member of the Student Council and the Community Service Club. Her athletic abilities surpassed those of her fellow junior year volleyball players, despite her asthma. And if she would have made it to the end of the season she would have undoubtedly claimed the title of MVP. Olivia was a spectacular human being, volunteering when she could, helping the community with things like the Peyton Springs Halloween Festival and the 4th of July Parade. But more than anything, Olivia was my best friend. I knew her and loved her like a sister, and it pains my heart each day to know that her life was cut short at only age 17. When Olivia forgot to blow out a candle before she fell asleep, her curtains caught fire, and she suffered an asthma attack before she could escape the smoke or find her inhaler. Can't imagine the physical pain she must have endured that night. Because of this tragic tale, Olivia's family and friends decided to honor her life by helping raise money for other burn victims and their families who have survived house fires. Today, on the anniversary of Olivia's death, we ask you to contribute by purchasing one of our fundraising products, candy bars, baked goods, and other donated items, or by simply dropping a dollar into one of our donation jars located throughout the school. Olivia's mother and her friends thank you for any and all contributions, and we hope to continue raising money for families like Olivia's. Thank you, and God bless. What's it say? I jumped. I didn't realize Emma had followed me to the table. It's just a flyer explaining the fundraiser, I told her. Olivia's story was sad. I felt like I couldn't just leave the flyer there, one that told her story to the world. I wanted to contribute in some way, but I didn't have any money on me, so I simply folded the paper up and slid it in my pocket, 
hoping that would show I cared. The thought of death crushed my heart, so I kept my eyes down, avoiding gazes so I wouldn't tear up. I didn't know Olivia that well, but since we were both on the volleyball team, although she was varsity, when I was on the freshman team, I'd spoken to her a few times. I blinked back tears as I thought of Olivia's tragedy. The whole idea of death brought a lump to my throat and resurfaced memories that I thought I'd gotten over. Emma rubbed my back to comfort me because she knew the subject of death was a touchy one. As I stared at the floor, afraid to look up for fear that tears might start falling, an invisible force, something unknown, willing me to look, pulled my chin up. My gaze fell upon the empty hallway to the right of the commons area, where students hadn't yet been released to roam for the day. In the middle of the hallway stood a tall, beautiful girl with blonde hair and dark brown eyes. She looked at me across the distance, her eyes full of emotion. I couldn't pinpoint exactly what she was trying to say with her expression, except I knew it was urgent. As soon as I spotted her, the bell rang, announcing that students could now go to their lockers and prepare for class. The crowd dispersed from the commons into the hallway and blocked my view of the girl. The students hurried down the hall as if they didn't see her. I kept my eye on where she was standing, but I didn't see her again. Crystal? Emma's voice seemed far off, a distant hum in my confusion. The faintness I felt just moments ago returned. My heart pounded in my ears, and for a second, my knees felt unstable. I gripped the edge of the fundraising table for support. Emma snapped her fingers in front of my face. Crystal? She said again as her voice came back into focus. I was suddenly whipped back into reality, dazed. What? Are you okay? Emma asked with a tone of serious concern. You look like you've seen a ghost. I let the statement sink in for a moment. Yeah, I said, but I wasn't answering her initial question. I was agreeing with her latter statement. But I didn't see a ghost. I couldn't have. An odd sensation stirred as a chill spread from my spine to the end of my fingertips. This was the same type of chill I used to get when I had my imaginary friend Eva over for tea before I started kindergarten. I'm imagining things, I told myself, mostly as reassurance. But I had seen her clear as day. Olivia Owen had stood in the hallway and begged for my help with nothing but an expression. Yet, how could that be when she died a year ago? Emma took my arm and led me to our lockers as I silently assured myself I wasn't crazy. Chapter 2 As we neared our lockers, I rationalized what I had seen. Whatever bug I'm catching sure is making my imagination run wild. I took a deep breath, willing my bad mood to go away, but a tension headache was already forming. I tried putting Olivia out of my head. Easier said than done. We arrived at our first class, which was my favorite class of the day, because it was the only one where Emma, Derek, and I had class together. Plus, 
Mr. Bailey always left us to our textbooks and let us talk with our group. Needless to say, there was more goofing around than working on geometry homework. I walked in with a frown on my face. Derek noticed immediately. I moved my desk so it was facing my two best friends, forming a triangle so that we could get to work. Derek shifted in his chair and looked up at me. What's wrong? He asked gently, obviously concerned. It's just not a good day, I murmured. With that, I actually opened up my textbook and began reading. I could see Derek's expression out of the corner of my eye as he looked to Emma for an explanation. She simply lifted her shoulders and opened her own textbook, but I could still see her stealing glances at him. I apologized for my behavior when the bell rang, but I still couldn't shake off my mood. I seemed to walk through the hall in a daze, blinking back tears and cursing the knot that was forming in my chest. Was I getting sick or was it something else altogether? When lunch rolled around, I quietly found my spot next to Derek and Emma at our usual table. We normally sat with the other JV volleyball players, but mostly kept our conversations to ourselves. Derek was freely welcome at our table. Last year, when he tore his ACL in basketball, Emma and I begged him to join the team as our manager. Besides, he didn't really have the typical basketball player physique. He was shorter than most of the other players, although his attractive bright blue eyes and curly brown hair made him blend in with the other good-looking guys at school. He hung out with Emma and me more than any other guy, though. Emma and Derek were arguing next to me about some issue I didn't care to weigh in on, so I blocked them out as I picked through my food. When I lost interest in it and glanced up, I noticed the long table set up against the far wall of the commons. Kelly and Justine sat behind it, still selling candy bars and taking donations. I watched in awe as they ran their campaign and encouraged passing students to purchase a candy bar or to spare a few pennies. The way they held themselves bit at my own self-esteem. Our school wasn't very big. In a small town like Peyton Springs, you couldn't expect a large high school. Everyone knew everyone else here. It was so small that some of our team members, like Emma, had to double up on JV and varsity. I had talked to Justine and Kelly in volleyball once or twice, but they still intimidated me. Not only were they seniors and at the top of the social hierarchy, but they were gorgeous. Kelly was petite like me, but she had more time to fill out, and her gorgeous smile reflected her confidence in her beauty. Justine had a similar smile painted on her face, but her body was one to really be jealous of. She had long, slim, model legs that she kept in shape with volleyball and weight training, and her tan skin and shiny dark hair had me cursing my pale skin and plain, dirty blonde locks. I had zero curves to speak of, and a pencil-shaped body that puberty had not yet had a chance to fill out. I was willing to bet I was the only girl in my grade who hadn't started her period yet. Granted, I was one of the younger students in the sophomore class with a summer birthday. I was nearly a year younger than Emma, who already had her driver's license. But that wasn't any excuse for the universe to slow down the onset of my menstrual cycle. I wanted to hate these girls. I really did. 
As much as their mature bodies and full confidence bit at my self-esteem, I couldn't hate them. They'd always been friendly to me. I didn't have any legitimate reason to hate them. I was still watching them when Kelly's boyfriend, Nate, came up to her from behind and embraced her. She flinched at first in surprise, then she tilted her head back to nuzzle against his shoulder. From this distance, they seemed to make a great pair. They were the designated it couple of the school, the two everyone thought would last long after high school. They looked good together, too, with her small but athletic frame and his tall, muscular body. Their blonde hair and blue eyes complemented each other. I couldn't help but take note of how I'd like a boyfriend like that. While admiring the girls, my mind thought back to Olivia. What would it be like if she were still here? Would she be sitting at that table with them, fundraising for some other good cause? My thoughts drifted back to those I was trying desperately to suppress. Did I really see Olivia this morning? No, I thought, poking at my spaghetti. I was just stressed and had an image of her face fresh in my mind. I have a wild imagination, I rationalized. I don't really know what happened this morning. I'm just remembering it wrong, I told myself. With all these thoughts racing around in my head, I hadn't noticed how much time had passed. The buzz of the bell pulled me from my reverie, and I sprang up in surprise. I pushed through the crowd and dumped my tray of uneaten food. Before I let it all fall into the garbage, I grabbed the piece of garlic bread and shoved it in my mouth. I knew if I didn't eat something, I'd be curled up with hunger pains before our volleyball game that night. The rest of the day continued in a haze, my mood lifting only so slightly in band class, where I fully enjoyed playing first chair clarinet. When the final bell rang, my stomach called out to me, clearly upset that I didn't eat my lunch. Oh, shush, I scolded my belly, which earned me a few odd stares. I shoved my notebook in my locker and took several deep breaths. I needed to calm down if I was going to do well at the game tonight. Our JV team hadn't lost all season, and there was only a week of games left. I wasn't about to lose one because of a bad day, which wasn't honestly all that bad anyway. Gosh, what was up with me? Ready? Emma said cheerfully as we walked toward the locker room to gather our equipment. Uh, ready as I'll ever be, I guess. I gave her a smile in hopes that it would cheer me up. Chapter 3 When we got on the bus, I quickly claimed one of the empty seats near the back and placed my book bag on my lap. Emma sat next to me the same time Derek popped his head up over the seats at the front of the bus as he climbed the stairs. There are my two favorite girls, he smiled, taking a seat in front of us. Chin up, Crystal. I knew he was trying to get me to smile, but the way he touched my chin as he said this simply annoyed me further. Knees and nose, I said, pointing to the front of the bus while repeating the phrase the teachers used to tell us in elementary school. Knees and nose to the front. They'd tell us for safety reasons. Derek backed away from me with his eyebrows raised. 
Someone woke up on the wrong side of the bed. I glared at him in warning. I loved Derek like a brother, but I wasn't in the mood for his bubbly attitude. Yeah, I snapped. He held his hands up in surrender. He turned away from me and pointed his knees and nose to the front. Well, it's obviously someone's time of the month, he muttered, intentionally saying it loud enough for me to hear. I rolled my eyes while silently thinking to myself that I wished it'd be my time so that I could finally grow into my body. Are you okay? Emma said when we were on the road traveling over the flat terrain of southern Minnesota. I tore my gaze from the window to look at her. Yeah, I, I just, I don't know, I feel weird. I just woke up in a bad mood and it's been following me around all day. I know what you mean. She rolled her eyes. Talk about being a teenage girl. Derek popped his head back up over the seat. And what exactly is that like? Knees and nose, Emma scolded. And I laughed as they teased each other. And they joined along in my giggles. Maybe I just need a girl's night, I said, once our conversation was private again. Sure, tomorrow night? Yeah. It's your turn to host, Emma. Emma crinkled her nose, which made her look more like a chipmunk than normal. She ran a hand through her dark curls. My house? Are you sure? I mean, Andrea is way cooler than my parents. My mom's great, but I really like your house. You have way more fun things to do. Can we please stay at your house? She seemed reluctant, but she finally agreed. It didn't take long to reach our opposing team's school. Coach Amy must not have noticed my bad mood because she put me in during the first set. This was certainly not a good day. I bent my knees, ready as the serves came over the net, but I felt so disoriented that I couldn't seem to hit the ball just right. I knew where the ball was going to go before it got there, but my motor skills took a nosedive. My first served slammed into the net, and when I tried bumping the ball over the third hit, the net caught it again. <laughs> to avoid this the next time, I sent the ball to the other side of the court with a set, but one of the girls on the opposing team spiked it. The ball <laughs> soared past me before I could process what was going on. A whistle blew, and I knew Coach was rotating me out before she stood from the bench. I slumped over to the boundary line and gave Jenna a high five as she took my spot. What's up, Crystal? Coach Amy asked as I returned to the bench. You're not at the top of your game like normal. Yeah, maybe I should sit this one out. And I did. Coach didn't put me back in for a second or third set either. I was so out of it that I hadn't noticed when the game was over. When I looked up, all I saw were the disappointed looks on my teammates' faces. I didn't have to look at the scoreboard to know we lost our first match of the season. <laughs> my shoulders slumped in disappointment to meet the expressions of my teammates. Coach called us together before we left the court. I don't want you girls to get too disappointed over this. You've done great this season. You played well tonight, but we can do better next week. Let's keep this as our only loss this year, okay? Team Hornets on one, two, three. I kept to myself on the bleachers as the varsity team warmed up. Emma was throwing serves over the net with them, and Derek was catching balls, so 
I didn't have my best friends to talk to. My eyes fixed on the girls warming up, but I didn't fully process the picture until I saw a blonde ponytail swishing around on our side of the net. I know that ponytail. It shouldn't be there. As the girl with the ponytail turned, her brown eyes locked on mine. The other players were moving so fast that in an instant the girl with the blonde ponytail disappeared. I felt woozy as a shiver ran down my spine. My heart was beating so hard as if it might escape my chest, and for a few moments, the sounds in the room ceased to exist. I bent my head down and rested my elbows on my knees, taking in slow, controlled breaths. Finally, I regained my composure. The sounds of the gymnasium began to come back to life. I looked around uselessly, thinking for a moment that I would find an explanation somewhere in the gym. But there was nothing. In that moment, I knew I had seen Olivia Owen for the second time that day. No, I rationalized. I didn't see her. I imagined her. I watched the girls more closely and wondered if I mistook one of the other team members for Olivia, but no one looked remotely like her. Once my heartbeat settled, I shook off the bogus idea. Maybe I am going crazy, I thought to myself. Time flew by, and before I knew it, our side of the gym erupted into cheers for the varsity's win. The bus ride home wasn't exciting since most of the people fell asleep. After working on a few homework problems under the light of my cell phone, I nodded off with them. When we arrived at the school, I deposited my equipment in my gym locker and changed back into my normal clothes. See you girls tomorrow, Derek promised when we came out of the locker room. Bye, Derek, Emma and I said together. Emma smiled back at him, and I couldn't help but notice that she batted her eyes a bit when she did it. We walked most of the way home together, but took our separate ways at our normal corner. I wondered briefly if I should tell Emma I was getting sick, but I didn't want to worry her. See you tomorrow morning, Emma waved. And don't be late. I won't, I promise. I actually cracked a smile at that. When I walked through the door, the smell of brownies hit my nose. I dropped my backpack instantly and raced into the kitchen. There, on the counter, sat a scrumptious-looking pan of freshly baked brownies. Well, they looked good if you could get past the crusty edges, which I was okay with at the moment. Without bothering to say hello to my mother, I dug in. Sweet, delicious chocolate after a day so sour felt great. Hungry? My mom teased. She was more like a friend to me than a mother. I had an awful day back off. I narrowed my eyes at her, a warning that I might bite her hand off if she touched my brownies. It was a light-hearted glare, and she knew it. Even I couldn't hide the smile twitching at the sides of my mouth. How'd the game go? <sighs> we lost. I felt bad that my mom couldn't be there for my games, but she had a business to run, and with Halloween just around the corner, it was the busiest time of the year for her. Mom owned a small shop on Main Street called Divination that specialized in everything Halloween. 
from costumes and decorations to candy and crystal balls. She and her two friends, Sophie and Diane, kept the business going by selling homemade candy and supernatural products like tarot cards throughout the year. My mother let out a long yawn. Well, I'm going to bed. I just wanted to make sure you made it home safe and, you know, I had to make brownies. I had a feeling you'd need them tonight. My mom was always so considerate and somehow knew exactly what I needed when I needed it. Right now, double chocolate brownies were my solace. Mom, I said, can I stay over at Emma's tomorrow night after practice? I knew I didn't have to ask, but I did anyway to be courteous. Sure. Once my mom left the kitchen and I felt like I'd eaten enough brownies, I covered the pan and went to get ready for bed. I flipped on the light in the bathroom and brushed my teeth. When I sat on the toilet, I thought I was imagining things. Nope. My underwear was clearly stained. I'd finally started my period. So that's what my bad mood was all about, I thought. If that's what PMS is, I'm not sure I want to be a woman anymore. I joked with myself. I searched under the sink for something to help me with my issue and found a half-empty package of pads. Soon afterwards, I crawled into bed and fell asleep. Chapter 4 I woke with a start. My legs were tangled around my sheets. My whole body was wet with sweat, and my heart was pounding hard against my chest. I knew I had woken from a nightmare, but the details of the dream now eluded me as I struggled to remember what had terrified me. I lay in bed for several long minutes until an image of my nightmare resurfaced in my mind. I remembered the sound of a car door shutting. I recalled the way the interior lit up my face in the side mirror. No, not my face. It was the face of a young girl, maybe six, with brown hair and big chocolate eyes full of terror. As quick as I saw the image in my mind, it was gone. When I finally calmed down, I made sure to fully dress before leaving my room because I could smell eggs and bacon. That only meant one thing. Teddy was here. The first time my mom's boyfriend came over in the morning to make breakfast for us, I made the mistake of coming out of my bedroom in just a t-shirt and undies. I really should have made the connection that there wasn't the smell of charred breakfast in the air, which meant someone other than my mother was cooking. Needless to say, it was a bit embarrassing. When I entered the kitchen, I gave Teddy a hug. I was glad he was cooking since my mother was known to burn food, and I had the tendency to oversalt everything. I was fine with just a bagel, but I could take bacon and eggs any day. Teddy and I got along well. Mom had been dating him for a few years, but he hadn't filled that hole in my chest where my father belonged. I was sure he never would, but I still liked him. An image of the crash replayed in my head as I thought about my father. It wasn't a memory of the real car crash since I wasn't there, but rather a memory of a dream I had before it happened. It was strange that I dreamt my father had died in a car accident, and then he did. Young children do have wild imaginations. Yum, I smacked my lips. 
bacon and eggs. I reached into the cupboard and pulled out three plates and set them on the table. Almost ready, kiddo. Normally, I would hate if people called me kiddo, but I really didn't mind when Teddy did it, as long as he let me call him Teddy Bear whenever I wanted as a way to embarrass him. He didn't mind. Even when he brought me to the police station once to show me around, and I had called him Teddy Bear in front of his co-workers. They just laughed. But he managed to laugh along, too. Mom, I shouted down the hall. Breakfast! Teddy and I took our spots around the table. He didn't live with us, but he might as well have since he spent most of his time here when he wasn't at work. My mother entered the room. The way Teddy gazed at her in awe told me he really did love her. In a flash, an image of a diamond ring popped into my mind, but it was gone before I could process it. I hear wedding bells, I thought silently. So how's everything going with planning for the festival? Teddy asked my mother. I was intrigued to know this too, so I listened carefully. Uh, most of our responsibilities are set up, but there's another meeting before the festival and we have to get a few things together for our booths. My mom was talking about the booth she and her business partners set up at the Peyton Springs Halloween Festival every year. Since they're the experts in town on Halloween, they graciously volunteered. Plus, it was really good for business promotion. Mom ran a fortune-telling booth and dressed up as a gypsy every year. She knew all about the superstitions with tarot card readings and crystal balls, but it was, of course, all just for fun. A lot of people raved about how accurate she was, but that was just because she was so involved in the community that she knew everything about everyone. It was actually kind of funny to see people talk about how great she was when she was really just faking it, but I guess people wanted to believe in that kind of stuff around Halloween. Sophie and Diane helped out with other things at the community festival like the Haunted Trail, Carnival Games, and other fun things. We have some really awesome ideas this year, and the Haunted Trail is going to be better than ever before. My mother continued. There are lots of people willing to help out, and Cheryl and Tammy are really doing a lot to make this year a blast. Cheryl Stratton and Tammy Owen were the co-heads of the festival, but they were always begging my mom and her friends for help, which I found odd. My mom should have just taken over the festival, but then again, I thought, maybe Tammy needs it this year to help her get past this difficult time. After all, we just passed the anniversary of her daughter's death, which left me feeling kind of bad for her. I applauded her for how she was holding together and getting so much done with the festival. I'll try to be there, Teddy said. But I can't make any promises. We've had a lot of work at the station lately. I crunched into my bacon. It was like heaven in my mouth. I moaned, causing my mom and Teddy to stare at me. What? I said innocently. It's good. The kitchen went silent again when we dug into our food. Teddy was the one to break the silence. I was wondering if you girls are busy tomorrow night. My mom and I exchanged a glance. No, she answered. What did you have in mind? Teddy shrugged, but it didn't feel like honest nonchalance to me. He seemed nervous about something. I just wanted to take you girls out. We haven't gone out in a while. 
Is it a special occasion? I asked. No, I just thought it would be fun. My mom looked at me again and nodded lightly. Sounds great. I left the house in a much better mood than the day before and made it to the corner the same time Emma approached. Looking better, she complimented. Feeling better, I agreed. As we strolled to school, I was reminded of the scene we walked into yesterday with the fundraiser. I thought about Olivia briefly and wondered again if I should tell Emma that I thought I saw her in the hallway. I decided not to. It would just come across sounding as if I was crazy. When I told people in my kindergarten class that I had a friend named Eva who apparently no one else could see or talk to, my classmates called me crazy. All it took was me telling Eva to go away before I made friends with Emma and passed the phase of imaginary friends. Maybe I could tell Olivia to go away and her face wouldn't appear in my mind. That is, if I ever see her again. And since I'm not crazy, I told myself, I don't believe that I will. I didn't say anything to Emma. I had a much more successful day at practice, killing my serves and reacting quickly. When practice ended, I was about ready to eat a horse, so I mentioned this to Emma. Oh, I want food now, but I still have to go home and get my stuff for overnight. Why don't you go get your stuff and I'll go home and start the pizza, she offered. It should be ready when you get there. Deal, I agreed. Emma and I walked to our corner. In our privacy, I again considered telling her about what happened to me. I still wasn't sure talking about Olivia, but I should at least tell Emma about getting my period, right? I thought. Perhaps that's something best saved for girl talk tonight, or maybe that's too private to mention. I tried thinking back to when Emma started her period. I couldn't remember if she told me right away or not. The thought of what I should and shouldn't say still nagged at me as we went our separate ways towards our homes. When I entered the door to our one-story house, Diane and Sophie sat in our living room. Girls night for you too? I asked before they had a chance to greet me. Yup, Sophie answered as she bounced up from the couch. She held me at arm's length. Is something bothering you, sweetie? Does being a teenage girl count as an excuse? Diane laughed from her spot on the couch. Sure it does. Sophie embraced me, which helped soothe me. I wrapped my arms around her small frame. Sophie was about my height with curly brown hair and bright eyes. She always seemed upbeat and happy. Diane, on the other hand, was completely her opposite, which helped balance them out as friends. Diane was a bear woman with long, thick auburn hair that she always piled on top of her head. She was less laid back and more serious. It's um, great to see you guys, but I have to pack up my stuff and head over to Emma's. I went to my room and filled a bag with overnight supplies. Do you want a ride, Crystal? My mom shouted from the kitchen when I re-entered the main room. No, Mom, I'll walk. She poked her head around the wall, separating the two rooms. You sure? It's getting dark. Mom, it's only a few blocks. I'll be fine. Okay, sweetheart. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye, Mom. Catch you later, girls. It really wasn't a long walk to Emma's house, but I found myself second-guessing if I had packed everything I needed. I mentally ticked off all the necessities in my head, as if the cramps in my abdomen were trying to tell me something. 
I knew immediately what I had forgotten. Even though I was nearly to Emma's, I turned back toward my house. Chapter 5 This segment is almost out of time. So, thank you for listening. And this will continue on the next segment. Have a good day. Hope you enjoy these free books from the Play Store. We were listening to Fire in Frost, a Crystal Frost novel by Alicia Radis. Chapters 1 through 4.